Good evening and welcome to Trial by Fire podcast with your host Stacey and Rachel. Stace, how has your week been? Uh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> it's that time of year, right? And yeah. It's, it's a busy time of year, but at the same time it's just busy and interesting with everything that's uh, kind of going on in the world. So agree. It's an interesting time. Well, we're so excited to be back with our amazing listeners and actually have a podcast. that's just us. It has not been just us in a little bit. And so it'll be fun to just chat it up and talk about these present issues that have been plaguing both of our minds. So Stace is going to go ahead and lead us in opening prayer. In the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh Lord, you search me and you know me. You know my resting and my rising. You discern my purpose from afar. You mark when I walk or lie down. All my ways lie open to you. Before ever a word is on my tongue, you know it. O Lord, through and through, behind and before you besiege me, your hand ever laid upon me. Too wonderful for me, this knowledge. Too high, beyond my reach. Well, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your face? If I climb the heavens, you are there. If I lie in the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn and dwell at the sea's furthest end, even there your hand would lead me. Your right hand would hold me fast. If I say, let it darkness hide me, and the light around me be night, even darkness is not dark for you. And the night is as clear as the day. Amen. Amen. So our prayer today was actually uh, Psalm 139. It's uh, God sees all that is. And I think that's an interesting, well, I always say that, that I think it's interesting, but there are a lot of interesting things to me. What can I say? Um, I think that it's interesting that we would use Psalm 139 today, God sees all, because we're kind of at that time of year where we We've kind of weathered Lent. Uh, we've been at the apex of Easter, the Triduum and Easter. And now we're like in the Easter season, which can sometimes feel like ordinary time. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Except for the physical decor of the church. It can kind of feel like ordinary time, at least until we get to Pentecost. And then we kind of up at this apex again, only to go back to ordinary time. And we really don't have anything going, so to speak, until Corpus Christi. Um and depending on what your church normally does for Corpus Christi, I mean, a lot of churches pull out all the stops. And um, that's a really neat feast in the church. Um, and, of course, here on the West Coast, we don't celebrate Ascension Thursday. Ascension is abrogated to a, a Sunday. Um, so that's a little different for us. There's like only four provinces in the United States that actually observe Ascension Thursday as a Holy Day obligation. Really? Did they observe it down in Louisiana? No, we don't do it there anymore either. Uh, but we used to, and we used to graduate on that day. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. No, I uh, I definitely feel like this Easter season has definitely, it, it almost feels like the exhaustion after you've uh, like overcome a big deal. You know, like how it's like you've worked super hard, you're persevering, you go through, you meet your goal, but you're so depleted because you've met the goal that you're kind of in this phase of now what? Or like, what's the point now? And um, it's very hard to reconcile that because you don't want to be resentful of those feelings, but you can't help it to kind of be like, well, I worked so hard for this, but what now? Or, but why though? Kind of like that meme that's always out where he's like, but why though? And you like shrug the shoulders. I definitely not only see that in myself a little bit, but also in the people around me. I feel like a lot of people around me have been working super hard just to maintain or to survive. And yet once they do, they're not celebrating that accomplishment. Instead, they're just feeling so like in their soul exhausted that's the harsh reality that that a lot of new catholics are kind of starting to face because they just received their sacraments after a long time of preparation and then they enter now this period after they receive their sacraments they enter what's called the mystagogia and a lot of them can be like uh, they can find it kind of 
blah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, you got it's a hard experience that we don't think about as cradle Catholics because we're used to the ups and downs of Catholicism. You know, we're used to going to the mass and feeling like the priest is talking directly to us. Or, and But we're also used to going and being like, wow, I got nothing out of this today. Whereas they're new and they've not learned how to kind of weather the kind of ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of, you know, Catholicism, how it's it's not always a joyful ride. Sometimes it's, you know, a, a grinding kind of ride. Yeah. And so this is always a interesting time for them. And while the faith is still new to them and they're still experiencing it in different ways than then we can probably remember in our own faith, faith lives or faith journeys. At the same time, this is a time where they can almost enter, I would say, the proverbial desert. You know, you've had someone, you've had a sponsor that's walked with you all this time. You've had, you know, whoever is your volunteer that leads the RCI meeting sessions, and now you're kind of turned loose on your own. You know, yeah, it can be a little, become a little bit, you know, like a time of desolation. It can be a little loneliness, I think, there. Well, one of the things that gives me comfort knowing just just as a strategist almost, um, more than just a Catholic, we when we attend Mass and we're going through the readings, they go through uh, different years, right? So we go like year A, year B, and year C of the readings, you know, like yeah. we go through that three-year cycle with the readings. And I really didn't pick up on it until I became a lector when I'm like, you know, of course you have the same thing go every single year, but the readings would change every three years. And that meant you essentially, most pro- probability would prove you'd have a different priest with a different homily to that reading once every three years. Yeah. And so essentially every time I would like stumble on a reading, I would gain something different. I would change. And so that's the one thing that like I always try to see, especially still lecturing, I'll go through and not that I'm cocky, but I've read these readings out loud enough times to where I'm like, oh, I know how to pronounce this. I know how to go through and uh, project the word without having to rehearse as much as I did as an early lector. Uh, but I could see for new Catholics where they haven't identified that every three year system, they may be feeling like the high, like the emotional high is over and they're kind of like complacent. Like, Oh, I guess this is what I'm doing now. And I'm going to keep going. Um, we're supposed to still feel good, but I may not feel as connected. Well, and you know, the weird thing about ordinary time is I feel like ordinary time makes us work harder, right? Because we're much more in a, what I would call a routine Mm -hmm. and you know, anything that is routine always runs the risk of becoming mundane. And I I feel like in ordinary time, we're called to work harder. I would agree with that. But I also think ordinary time also requires a whole different level of discipline than what Advent and Lent demand of us. Now, like naturally we know the season of Advent and the season of Lent are short term and have an end date. Like they go like, Oh, Hey, it's going to end here. We're going to be done. And yet when we go through and we have ordinary time, it's about the filling that resolve. It's about listening to the Holy Spirit and doing more for our church and doing more for our faith life when there isn't a celebration to be had at the end. You know what I mean? Like we're going to have to go back to our everyday lives and keep moving forward. Well, and I think it's the the visual cues are not there during ordinary time. We come, you know, the colors don't change. It's always green. And, um, you know, there's... I mean, of course, there's always something spectacular that happens at Mass. But for us, in our humanity, in our frail humanity, it, it's a huge uh, danger of becoming complacent in one day. And by the way, total random embarrassing Rachel fact. It was not until I was in college that I realized that green was ordinary time in all Catholic churches. I thought it was just green at St. Patrick's because St. Patrick's was green. And then I learned that in college and that was pretty embarrassing. So I felt like 
being honest on the podcast. I'm going to give like, you a pass today and I'm not going to make fun of you. Hey, listen, there's a lot of things on this podcast, <laughs> as our listeners know, that go, Rachel didn't know what. I'm going to give you a pass today. <laughs> but I just, I had thought, I'm like, oh, green for St. Patrick's. And then I like, get different churches will have different colors. No. So did you know that the, the black was also a color in the church at one point in time? I mean, I see Father David wear it no. with the. No, vestments. <laughs> we had black. For funerals. Well, yeah, I assume like this it would just be for reverence. We we don't we don't use that liturgical color anymore. We've moved on from it. We have moved to purple. Um, but right. yeah, but but before, I like grew up before with the masses in the Norvis Ordo, uh, or before we moved to the Norvis Ordo, the priests would have wore uh, black mm-hmm. at mass, uh, funeral masses. I mean that makes and there was total two sense. other times during the liturgical year he also wore it. But yeah, but. Again, though, green, I just had assumed, was a St. Pat's little connection. Wait till college, and that switched it up. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, I, I I know for a lot of our listeners, they hear us, and then we talk about our uh, Catholic, uh, like our status as a modern Catholic in our age. Uh, I just got an alert about a 15-year college reunion coming up. So college was a long time ago. So that's plenty of time to grow. Oh, well, it was a, way more than that for me. Yeah, but... I mean... Not too much for us. Yeah. There's a lot more. Um, but, well, and the, the other thing about this time of year, too, is that, you know, I mean, we're kind of in the season of First Holy Communion. There's and confirmations. Usually, uh, and all those. Lots of confirmations, both uh, teenage and adult confirmation. Um, so there's a... I mean, we do have a lot going on during the Easter season before we move back to ordinary time. Um... But and then some churches for Corpus Christi, like I said earlier, they will pull out all the stops and they'll have actually uh, a lot of times it'll be like a men's group like the Knights of Columbus will carry like a baldacchino and uh, father will um, process with the uh, monstrance and they'll do like a small procession, which is always really neat. Um, Corpus Christi is a great, great feast in the church. So um but yeah, it used to be one of my more favorite ones. Of course, it's super hot in Louisiana at that time, but we always had, um, you know, a fairly long procession, which was really neat. So processions are something that I'm so excited are coming back into our church um, post COVID. You know, mm-hmm. that was one thing that was so, you know, one of the things robbed from us during that time, just for safety, uh, we weren't presiding in as we did. And, you know, I think watching this past uh, Holy Week and seeing at the uh, Palm Sunday when they did the procession inside uh, after the palms and mimicking the um, entrance of Jesus into the city it, it was so great to see everyone so eager to get up and want to preside in with our priests. Um, it was something that people just wanted that connection so badly. It was, it was very beautiful to be a witness to. Well, I think people were missing, missing certain elements or, or have been missing certain elements of the mass and the church in general. I mean, this year I can actually say that you know, we had a few little hiccups and mistakes during our liturgies. But, you know, like I told all the people who were helping, I said, you know, don't beat yourself up too bad. I mean, this is the first time in two years that we've done this the quote unquote uh, regular way, mm-hmm. you know, with that we actually knew what we were doing, so to speak. That makes me sound really bad, but <laughs> that we knew what we were doing going into it. We weren't waiting for um, for a memo to come to instruct us how we, you know, would have to modify things and do it. You know, that was the interesting thing that I guess, you know, now I can be open about is that, um, you know, during COVID, there were a lot of times when, well, pretty much all the time when our hands were really tied and we wanted to do more and we just, we couldn't. And I know people listen to the podcast from all over, you know, the United States and we have some international listeners as well, but, you know, a, a lot of it had to do with geographically where we're located. We were, were located in one of the most stringent states. And, you know, the great state of California just didn't really turn a blind eye to religion during COVID. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, subjected to some harsh um, kind of regulations and stipulations, just as if we were like a, we were a business. We weren't exempt. 
And there were many times when, um, and I'm not saying this like, oh, poor me, my life's so hard and my job's so hard and we're working so hard. But there were plenty of times when, you know, we had things lined up and all ready to go and we had to pull a plug on it, you know, like the day before. And I can say that is a thousand percent true on my end as well. Um, The confirmation mass experiences were so radically different. 2020, 2021, and now this upcoming year um, that we're going to have the sacrament this year for my teenagers. It was just it was, like Stacy said, you were waiting by your email box to find out if you could actually proceed with your plan. Um, and if it didn't, you had to be on that phone calling every single family and apologizing profusely on behalf of the diocese and be like, I am so sorry. This is not going to yeah. happen. And there was a lot of hurt feelings. And, you know, now in hindsight, completely justified. Like, I totally understand the feelings from the families, but you know, at the same time, we were getting that flack kind of hit us as if we were the control when really we were subjected to so many demands here in the state. It was a miracle. We had what we did. Oh, we were very fortunate to have what we did. And I know there's a lot of people, you know, who feel like, you know, we didn't stand up for the church or things like that. And, you know, I think people have to understand that those of us, you know, who are on the church's payroll, uh, of course, not all of us take uh, a mandatum in a sense, but, but many of us do. And, and you know, my obedience in, in my capacity here where I work is, is to my pastor, but it's also um, to the bishop of my diocese. And my pastor's obedience is to, to the bishop. And so uh, a good part or a, a big part of my job is also being in obedience. And sometimes that means doing things that, that I may not want to do or that I maybe don't believe they should be happening. Um, and let me clarify, that's nothing bad. It's just that, of course, I, I would have liked for mass to never be taken away from us. And like I said, I can, I can speak about it now, but there was many people, you know, who were stopping me, asking me how come I wasn't advocating for us to have mass. And, you know, the behind the scenes issue on that is that, you know, our hands were tied and we were told no. And, and, you know, you hate to sound cliche, like, or lackadaisical that we report to a higher authority, but, um, I kind of do report to someone who's higher than me and, and being obedient, it, I think sometimes, you know, as Americans, um, we think we become entitled to deeming everything that we have as righteous anger. And, and it's not. I mean, righteous anger is a real thing, but there are certain criteria you have to meet to have righteous anger. And in, in these situations, that's not what I had. And there could be no righteous uh, disobedience, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, and... Yeah. And now, you know, by the time I helped you that first year during COVID with your confirmation, I mean, that was actually one of the easier things I had to do. And, um, you know, now uh, this year, the nice thing starting probably about maybe I'd say probably around Ash Wednesday time, uh, we've really been kind of going back to doing things as they were intended to be done. And we don't have as many surprises. And, And that's just really nice. You know what I mean? Because cause there are a lot of, um, I know, a lot of hurt feelings about things like that, that we didn't stand up for the people or we didn't stand up for the church. And, um, and you know, we really did. But at the end of the day, it is important. I know a lot of priests got the blame for things like that. And it's like, you know, they do take a vow of obedience and they have to be obedient. And I think it's just one thing I try to keep in mind in reflection and moving forward is trying to harness some of that panic energy of most people had right at the beginning of March, 2020, you know, like people were, you know, people are quick to forget. They were storming in, taking toilet paper, every single product available to barricade their house from a variant that they didn't, couldn't identify or see, but were just told could happen to them. And there was this panic that was told to everyone in two weeks, it'll be over two years later. We're now 
only now recovering to return to normalcy to a degree. And even at that, um, I know that the cost of those past two years has really just done such a number to the mental health of our parishioners and our, uh, our faculty here at the church, our staff. Uh, there's just such a, you know, especially, and this is proven in so many studies pre COVID that when you are in a position of service, you know, you're going to help others, you run the risk of entering what's considered compassion fatigue, which is that you give and you love so deeply into your your vocation or your calling that essentially it can turn septic and ends up poisoning you or poisoning your mindset. And uh, I remember very early <laughs> in my uh, teaching career, um, reading about this and going, I'm never going to be like that. That's never going to be me. That's just a skeptic. Fast forward a couple of years. Uh, my, one of my best friends ever and I were attending a conference in Boston and we were both, we attended, we were invited to attend this conference with the hope of training our teachers when we returned to San Fernando. Um, but then it just, we were over in this conference and there had this advertisement for the teacher burnout uh, seminar. And I look at my coworker, I go, are we doing this? And because I don't want to admit I feel this way, but I should. And we went and it was all about compassion fatigue and how to, you know, address that. It's okay if you're feeling so burnout that you have nothing left in the tank. And then when you have nothing, you admit that, then you start resenting what you do, resenting the sacrifices you've made, not seeing the growth, and then eventually you fall away. Um, for those who have been really paying attention to the crisis here in the United States with teachers, um, the teacher population is just decimated. Like there, no one wants to be a teacher for more than five years, especially post COVID, because not only are you underpaid, but you're taking on a tremendous amount of debt to never really climb out of your debt when it's over. Bringing it back to church, we see that even amplified more with vocations like the priesthood and nuns and services, you know, services uh, like religious education, where a lot of these positions, you're not paid, you're not, not paid high, but the demand is even higher. It's even higher than traditional teaching because then you're infusing education, faith, mentorship, support, love, all in this role that could turn, that is then harnessed on a foundation of your faith experience, your faith journey and your relationship with Christ. And then if that starts turning sour, Oh man, then we have a whole bunch of new obstacles. And so that's one thing I've been especially trying to be mindful of as we've reopened, especially being with people because our, our teenagers need help. You guys, our teenagers, they're struggling with burnout and they're, they have yet to go into the world. They've yet to go in the world and yet their hearts and their minds are burned by life before they've even had a chance to fly away. And witnessing that burnout in such youth, it does something to a heart and it does something to a soul. And it's a lot of asking God why. And then when you amplify those concerns with your peers, then of course, you know, your coworkers, we're, we're all talking to each other. Like, what do we do? What's going on? The God, you know, what prayer can we look at? What concern can we have? And yet ultimately there, it's still, even with all our brainstorming, it still doesn't address the fact that we're all still burnt and we all, you know, as a Catholic community are trying to recover from that burn. But unfortunately, one of the things that happened during COVID that I saw, and it was really evident in the area geographically that we live in, is that I noticed that people made a clear distinction in between their faith and other things. And um, I, I personally think that is really, really a, a negative, a, just a derogatory thing that happened. Because... 
you look at what's happening now with, um, and I don't really want to go too far into it, but with the, the real possible overturning of real Wade, you look at what's happening and people have separated their faith from I, I, different ideologies, different belie- other beliefs that are not spiritual or faith-based. And there's become, instead of this being a gray area, there's become this really distinct division. Mm-hmm. And I think as Catholics, it's really hard for us. It shouldn't be. But for some of us, it's really hard to be Catholic all the time on everything. Whereas we, sh- it should be easy for us because we should ha- shouldn't have to think about what to think. We should just be able to align with the church. But unfortunately, I think COVID has led us to question everything. Not that there weren't people who, you know, uh, good Catholics who were, you know, pro-choice before. But I just think now there's this clear division. You know, and, and and it's a toxic division. I mean, it's, it's oh, really a, so bad. a negative, you know, uh, it has a real negative connotation, at least in my mind. Well, I think that one of the things that justifies either position um, that a lot of Catholics will take on is they're like, you know, my Catholic faith is rooted in Jesus and God, but the Catholic church is man-made and it's man-altered and humans have created these positions and their views and they try to justify their positions and their behavior based on like, oh man, you know, humanity did it. I, I'm not answering to God. I'm answering to the people who created these policies and created these laws and created this position of the church. And that's just such a, bad rabbit hole to fall into um you know i I know that we're not going to go into this conversation deeply about rv raid but the fact that we even in our minds had to think to come to the church to protect it from potential protesters from destroying our property is barbaric it's 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 something reminiscent to the crusades and you're sitting there going like, why on earth would an issue like this come and hurt my home and my home and my church? And it's just, it's again, that beha- these behaviors that are heightened and celebrated right now are so it's just, toxic. It's just very disheartening because the other, and I'm not watering down anything. Let me just be clear. I am 100% pro-life. But if I wanted to put on my hat a reason, as, as a mom even... Even if I was okay with with abortion, and and Rachel and I were talking about this before the show, I I just feel like all common sense is going out the window. You know, if if I was okay with it and my child came to me, I mean, my my first inclination would not be, okay, go take care of that yourself. No, what would it be? It would be like, I'll take you Mm because I want to be there for you. But I feel like there is no reasoning with some of the with some of these issues because uh, all rationale all logic is totally out of the window you know and i I just don't understand it so when people say well you're not sympathetic you're not empathetic excuse me to it because you're 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 so catholic and i go well as a mom if i try to be empathetic and put the shoe on the other foot so to speak and look at it from a different perspective because looking at something from a different perspective is not necessarily, in my opinion, watering it down or placating or, you know, lesser than. It's just, you know, trying to, you know, I would call it intellectually, you're trying to understand someone's position so that you could not necessarily convince them to see the same way you do, but you want to understand. An intelligent person wants to understand why somebody believes the way they believe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's important, right? I just don't, when I put my mother hat on, I just don't understand how you would want to just, you would be okay with your child, you know, doing that on their own. Well, I just know that it's such a fallacy told in Hollywood over and over that if these things happen to teenagers, teenagers go tell their bestie and the bestie takes it to them, takes them to the clinic. And it's like, Oh, okay. We're going to go get a Starbucks after. But there's so many, like, it's not how the episode plays out, you know, like in real life, you know, that could happen. 
in real life, yeah. but you know, but in more often than not, the emotional side effects are so much bigger. They impact the whole family and they impact the partner's family. And there's just, there's so many pieces that are unspoken when something like that happens. But again, there's that burnout that's happening across Catholics is they want to make this a political issue, not a faith issue. Well, and again, you know, I mean, and I'm not, listen, I've been part of protests in many different states in the United States and also in different countries. And I've been there when it's got ugly. And I I know because my my daughter every once in a while will go to like a protest. (laughs) I won't say what for. But, (laughs) you know, but um, this is what I say. When you go to a protest, I mean, you know that there's a possibility they could be some trouble. Not that you're asking for are you going to cause it, but you know when you go to something like that, it could it could be trouble, right? Right. But I'm not an advocate for, um, you know, like, for example, when you go to the pro-life rallies and they have, like, the graphic pictures of the abortion and stuff. I personally am not an advocate for those kind of things. I think there's a time and place for everything. I just don't think that if it's going to be a family venue that, like, that is appropriate. Yeah. Because I never wanted, like, I remember when my daughter was younger, there were certain ones I didn't go to because I knew that that kind of imagery would be there. That being said, where am I going with this? When you spoke earlier about, you know, the Hollywood perception, I will say this, because I'm a product of Catholic schooling as well as Catholic higher education. I've said that many times on the show. When I was in high school, as part of the my religion class, we watched a video. And that's what it was, okay? And even though, in my mind, I knew, like, from, uh, you know, a definition standpoint, I knew what an abortion was, right? Um, I knew, you know, from a theology standpoint, that my church was against it. I knew it was morally and ethically wrong, right? When I saw this, I mean, I'm 47, I could take y'all. I could take y'all right now to my old high school and point out the desk I was sitting in when I saw this, because it scarred me. No, it was not what I thought it was. Okay, and it's something that's always stuck with me. I do think at that point in time that was the right venue for it because it was being done as a like an educational slash religious type purpose. It stuck with me because I feel like we've gotten so caught up in this country on verbiage and the meaning of words that people have become really oversimplistic about things when we look at it. And it's nothing other than the murder of a a fetus, of an infant. It's, It's the taking of a human life. The reason I'm glad that I was showed it was that or, or viewed it is because because it wasn't optional. It was just something you had to do when I was in school. It it just is stuck with me. How awful mankind can be. But you know, it's a lot easier to do something like that when it's sight unseen. Yeah. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like like you said about the Hollywood version. We just think that it's just a simple procedure and we just go. And that's it. And we don't see everything that's left, the aftermath. I mean, you know, I make fun all the time with my husband because I go, I hate the Internet. And he'll laugh. Because <laughs> it should have made us smarter. We have pretty much the most up-to-date uh, encyclopedias in our hands. Instead, it made us stupider, right? And you look at the actual psychology behind it, how damaging it is to women. Why sell it on this, um, sell it as something that it's not. It's not free. And, you know, now this is what happens when you have a podcast. You can get on your soapbox, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, But, you know, it gets kind of discouraging as a woman, as like someone who was born a female. I constantly feel ripped off on what everyone else whether it be Hollywood, well, I'm not really in touch with Hollywood, but like society or culturally tell me I should be as a woman. Because like 98% of the things that they say I should be or that I should embody to me make me lesser than. Because 
y'all could hate me for saying this, but you you come ask me to my face and I'm going to tell you this. Because I really believe this. I wasn't built to be equal to my husband. I wasn't built to be equal to him or any other man or male in this world. I'm built to be complementary. And there's a huge difference. And I feel way more uh, empowered. I feel like um, I feel like a powerful woman that I'm I am complementary to him, not equal to him. Because there are hand us down things that he does way better than me. Way better than me. But on the other other side of that, right, there's the things that I do way better than him. And they're intrinsic to me being a female, a biological, you know, female. And those are the things that are empowering to me as a woman. Not some of these other things that I could go have a one night stand and then with no responsibility and have an abortion. How is that empowering to me? I just think that's a ripoff. I really do. And, and you know what? Even if I wasn't Catholic, I'm fairly certain I would still feel that way. How is that empowering? It's just, it's not. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. But it's not empowering to me. And I feel like there's other people out there that feel that way. I know there's got to be other women that feel that way. But I just don't feel like we're, we hear that enough. We don't. I mean, look, if I've been a CPA for 10 years and he's been a CPA for 10 years and we both applied the same job, definitely I should get the same wage he gets. But that's different. All this other stuff, I mean, that's equal. The other things, you know, I feel are demeaning to my femininity, to my sexuality. I do. You know what I mean? Well, I think that's one thing that's so interesting with any time that you're dealing with when, you know, women's rights, abortion, all of these issues come into play. People are so passionate about their experience and their perspective that it really does hinder discussion and debate. There is just like, I am this way and this is because, and one of the things that I love about this podcast specifically is even though Stacy and I have very different experiences and perspectives, a lot of times we end up at the same result. Yeah. And um, I know for myself that I definitely know there, <laughs> there's no, I, how do I say this correctly? There's no one that I'm going to find in my life as a partner who's my equal, because I know that told my whole life, I'm just been a force of nature. Ever since I was born, they just were like, woof, Rachel, that's just a whole other level. And, you know, the whole idea of like, like, look, you know, like looking for peers, looking for a partner, looking for these things in your life, you know, I had to very much learn that I wasn't going to find my equal. Instead, I was going to find a partner who could keep up <laughs> with my tornado of a self. And, you know, that is yet to occur. But when I think about what empowers me, and, you know, especially after all this post-COVID, I would definitely say medical procedures are not even a blip on my radar for things that empower me as a person. And I don't know how anyone should fight for that and make that that their stance, their hill to die on is for medical procedures. To me, that I'm just like, what? Like, no. You've got to be so much more than that. And if, you know, if your relationship with God and your Catholicism is willing to die over a procedure, then you really just have to go back to the core of yourself. Like, why on earth would you, would you, someone not be able to see that? Um, it just, it really just boggles my mind. Uh, I keep thinking back, like, over and over on the idea that people are just so staunchly like, this is my belief, and this is what it is. I'm like, a, a, on either side. And I sit there, I go, okay, if you can feel so strongly about this, why aren't you that strong in your faith? Why aren't you that strong in God? Because he's that strong for you. But on both, God loves every single one of us. 
And, spoiler alert, he even loves the people that are against you. <laughs> and the people oh. who disagree with you. So why on earth, you know, like, if he, if I know he loves my enemy as much as he loves me, or my opponent, how on earth could I not want to follow him? Well, and, you know, sometimes he would say, oh, well, you know, we're not ready to have kids. Well, you're ready to do something to cause kids. So maybe we should back that up. And before anybody gets mad, I know there's other situations where that's not the case. But statistics prove that, that or those, those are very um, low rates of incidents, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, you know, newsflash is somebody who's had a kid, you don't never think you're ready. Like, you know, once you find out, like, oh, yeah, we're having a kid, you, like, you got to walk it back from, you know, a month before when you're like, yeah, we should have a kid. And then you figure out you're having a kid, you're like, I don't, uh, yeah, we're clearly unfit to raise a human <laughs> being. <laughs> this was a mistake. Like, start praying for this kid because it's going to have some problems because we should not have done this. You know what I mean? No one's ready. Was it, and like, people say, oh, well, you know, I was scared. I was young. Oh, man, I was scared. I was scared I was married. And I had a support system, and I was still scared. You know what I mean? It's um, and that's it, a, it's good... a huge responsibility. You are putting another life in this world. How could you not? In what in what reality do you live in that you would not think that that was super uh, stressful, anxiety-inducing? I don't know. Think of anything along those lines. You know what I mean? Any adjectives. It is super worrisome. You know what I mean? Well, how about Mary? Man, like Mary doesn't even didn't even get to do the deed to figure out she's pregnant. The angel tells her Did surprise. Really, we, uh, you do surprise. We need to dump that. <laughs> I'm just saying, like she gets told by an angel she's gonna have the son of God. Amplifies it to that. At risk of losing her fiance, her plans, all these things. So young, and then you go like, wait. It takes like an angel going to Joseph in a dream. They like, hey, stick it out. We're gonna be here, and then she's gonna have that baby. She was not prepared. She was she was a baby, and she and, went through and did this. And, and this, so, folks, is why we have a podcast, not a TV show, <laughs> because no one can see me. Right no now. one can see our faces. But I'm. <laughs> but it's just like you know, it, there's absolutely like. To go back to the point, you know, it, there's no one's ever ready. No. And no one's ever, even when you've followed all the books, all the training, did all the prenatal, post, like prenatal care, vitamins, training, gyms, all those things to get ready, you're still not. No, definitely not. And then even in the times that you think that you're totally prepared, something happens and you're like, okay, that wasn't in the book. Or didn't see that coming. You know, we are called more than ever as Catholics to live our faith. And you know what? The world needs us right now. Mm -hmm. It needs a shining example of what humanity can be. Because the potential is there. And Catholics are poised to take up that role now more than ever. And I think, like I said, the world needs it. Humanity needs it. Because we can be good. And we're, we're capable of great things. But we can't just, you know, rest on our laurels and just wait for, you know, things to pan out okay. You know, because that's not the way things are trending. No. You know, our voices need to be heard. I mean, we definitely need to be peaceful about it and respectful. Because I think that that's something else that the world needs these days. We need to be able to disagree respectfully and peacefully. And see where other people are. Because, you know, a lot of times when you have issues like this, it does, people come from places of hurt. Yes. I mean, deep, deep places of hurt. And I think it's important for us to understand that and to know where they're coming from. Because I don't think that we can help them or reach them or even be empathetic to them if we don't understand where they come from. And I think, too, you know, like we mentioned earlier in this episode, People are really at the brink of what they believe they are capable of right now. They are in this burnout, this exhaustion, and this disillusionment of what they thought their life was going to be. 
Um, it doesn't matter if you are the most devout Catholic, go to mass every day and go to confession weekly kind of Catholic, or if you're a, um, holiday Catholic, people had this vision of their lives and what they wanted. And I guarantee you 98% of them did not have those goals met in the past two years. And there's a lot of bitterness and resentment that comes with failed expectations and failed goals. And so when we deal with in the face of adversity, we do have the temptation to walk away, to mute God and his influence in our lives, to just kind of say, I'm done. I'm going to start over. This isn't working anymore. Um, and you can do that. Yeah. You absolutely you totally, can. I've said that before on the show. That that's one of the great monopolies we have as Catholics. Is we can all we have to do is be willing to start over, to ask for forgiveness, and God and God in His infinite mercy will take us back. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. He's waiting at the door, way before we even realize we should turn around. Yeah, you know, it, it's really you know the onus is on us. To just turn around and walk back. Yeah. He's always he's always there, um, you know. But <laughs> I don't know why this visual just came to me. Like when we were talking about this, of waiting at the door. Um, we all know Stacy and I are dog owners, and Stacy is a much more trusting owner than I am. I'm going to say it with dogs and I'm going to explain why. Whenever Stacy has brought her dog to work, she's never on a leash. She like goes. My dog? Yeah. Beignet is like free spirit. No, Whenever she's here. Oh. She's not in the office. Right. But like, no, like she's off. Whereas Zuzu, my younger one, even though she's like my little shadow, if I gave her a little ounce of freedom, that girl would bolt and chase a squirrel or not pay attention to her surroundings. And I panic. I, I go, I'm like, no. And like, maybe because I've had a beagle in the past that I don't trust they won't book it. And even though I know gendos are different, Zuzu, I'm just like, no, you're sticking, you're sticking here. And it's kind of like that visual with God too. Like, not that we're God's dogs. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying like, you know, like, here he is at the door, like, trusting that we'll turn around and come right back. When he's like, okay, we're not on leashes in the faith. Like, our faith, our religion, this Catholicism, it isn't a leash tying us to God. No, we have the choice. Keep living and keep coming back. And accepting that we walk through those doors of the church coming home every single time. And even if we're not at an opportunity to go back to our church, but we are in our car, we are in our room, we are in a space to take 30 seconds to just reignite that conversation with God and ask for his light and his influence. It's right there. Just like how Stacy mentioned at the door, as we're all have the opportunity to turn around. Well, and you know, the interesting thing, or one of the other interesting things about being Catholics is that, you know, I think that when we have times like this in the church, or even times in our life where we struggle with a church teaching, it is really incumbent, the responsibility on us, to instead of just going, nope, not going to do it. Nope, not for me. Nope, doesn't pertain to me. I'm just going to exclude that part of, the, of, of Catholicism, that doctrine, that tenet. I'm going to just, I'm going to live my life as a faithful Catholic, but I'm just going to delete that little deal, right? I think it's important for us Um, to understand why we're not okay with it. Where is our disagreement with it? Because a lot of times when we take that kind of teenager mentality of only hearing your mama tell you no, we never get to the why. I I think this, you know, the, the stomping of our feet and kind of grinding of our teeth, that really, um, it really stagnates our faith, you know, because we've spoken about it before and here how, you know, we're all on a faith journey and we're all, even though we can be lifelong Catholics and go to mass every Sunday for however many years, it grows with us and it becomes something else. And that's much the way 
uh, different beliefs are with Catholicism. I mean, some of the things that were hard when I was eight years old are not hard when I'm 47. And some of the things, you know, that were hard when I was eight are easy when I'm 47. You know, and and just the different stages in my life, the different things that were happening in my life, certainly there were harder teachings to adhere to at different moments. But it was important to, if you actually want to grow, to not just, like I said, just kind of stick your feet down and be like, nope, not going to budge, you know, because it is part of growing. And some of the things that I was like, ah, I mean, in, I mean, in my life, it hasn't ever been anything like, no, I don't believe in that or I disagree with that. It was more along the lines, embarrassing. Like, now I'm kind of too lazy to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But even through, you know, different research and reading and different things, you know, I came to see why, you know, certain things were. And it did make it easier. Not overnight, but it made it easier. You know, and, and the other thing is that there were teachings as I grew older that I thought would be easy to implement into my life. And shocker, I was wrong. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's important for our understanding and our growth in the faith to understand why Mother Church teaches the way she teaches about certain things especially when it comes to ethical and morality issues or even even things as simple as the communion fast, you know, not having anything to eat or drink an hour before you consume communion, preparing your body. I mean, have you ever thought of the fact, you know, we, we dwell so much on preparing our bodies spiritually, right, our souls, by making sure we're not in a state of mortal sin to receive, you know, preparing our bodies physically to receive the body of Christ by the um, implementing the communion fast. Um, well, I hate to break it to everybody, but once we go to mass and we consume the communion, it just doesn't dissipate. So now, um, is it good to really be taking Jesus with us to the bar and getting hammered? You know what I mean? Or doing other things? <coughs> um, you know, how often do we think about that? Now we're kind of like a tabernacle for a while. Mm-hmm. Jesus is within us. What are, what are our actions, our thoughts, our words? Um, after that. Well, one thing that has been so interesting with confirmation, watching it evolve every single year, every single year is completely different. Um, This year was the first time that we got to have an in-person retreat with our sponsors, with our candidates to help them like not only prepare for their sacrament, but also prepare their relationship with each other before that day. And one of the most fascinating insights that I picked up on, um, and thank goodness also Father Beto, when he was able to attend, um, our sponsors just were so impressed by the teenagers and where they are in their faith journey and where they are as sponsors for them. You know, like saying, like, why did you pick me? Like, why did you choose me to be your sponsor? Like, what is it about me? What do we share? And it was just, it was such a great day to watch this happen for these relationships and faith, to be able to see that. And so I kind of wanted to pivot it to Stace and I, and just ask flat out, like, Stace, we asked this to the sponsors and the teens, I'm going to ask you, what kind of Catholic did, do you desire to be? Because I know, like, both of us, we work for the church. We have our goals as employees and staff. But as your own personal Catholic self, what kind of Catholic do you desire to be? Hopefully a good one. I don't think I'm a very good one. But, I mean, so hopefully I'm going to be around a little bit longer so I can undo some of the things that I've done. But um, hopefully a good one. And, And, you know, I just want, contrary to some of the things that come out of my mouth, it's some of the things that I do. I just want everyone to love the church as much as I do. That's not super egotistical, by the way. It probably sound, came off really wrong, but it may not look like it in everything I do and say, but I, I just want people to love it as much as I do. I really do. And, and, um, and I just wish that everyone could be more faithful and realize that like we're all struggling. It's not always easy. You know, I don't always want to do my prayers. I don't, you know, always want to do the things I'm supposed to. You know, I just wish that more people could see that. That's not a good answer, by the way. But <laughs> No, um, I even when 
we had this um, activity with my teenagers. I wanted to be last because I wasn't prepared to answer myself. Um, but the kind of Catholic I want to be, I kind of go back to who I chose for my chosen saint back in confirmation many, many years ago. Um, I chose Mary Magdalene, who was, is viewed as some of the, one of the more controversial women in the Bible, as well as you know, also the most loyal to Jesus, uh, even down to watching him be crucified. And taking on a woman so dynamic um, and so uh, impactful in the faith, when I took her on as my chosen saint, I really had no understanding at my teenage self how important she'd be in my life. And throughout my teenage years, adulthood, a professional life, I turned to her quite a bit to ask for any sort of insight and uh, mindset shift um, and how I would handle a situation to be more loyal, to be more dynamic in a situation. And so as a Catholic, I just want to not only, I desire to be much like her, but I also want to be the kind of person who is a living example of the faith that would want to bring people into the faith, people who have been hurt or have close-minded views of what they believe Catholics are. I want to be an example of like, Oh no, we're actually more like this and come on and check us out. Um, because trying to provide an open net of safety and encouragement is a big undertaking and one that burns out pretty quick, but one I hope that I can continue to do. Yeah, I just want to be a better Catholic. I like you know that. I, mean? I just want to be a better one because I know there's a, a, so much room in, um, for me to improve. Um, my confirmation state was St. Francis of Assisi. Good choice. Any special reason? Because I just wanted to be simple. I wanted to be like him. I didn't want to... Um, I don't know. I just wanted to be able to just rebuild the church and bring people, like, not only bring people in, but bring, create more orthodoxy in the church and get in, kind of get rid of some of the dissension, you know. Um, it, it was a toss up between St. Francis of Assisi and, um, you know, St. Dominic, because they run parallel to each other in history. And um, he was obviously, you know, much more of the intellectual side than St. Francis, who was more, you know, kind of divine physician or mystic. But um, I just wanted to be simple. And he drew people to himself by being simple. Not that I want to draw people to me, because I don't. Please don't touch me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Again, so grateful this is audio <laughs> and not visual. <laughs> <laughs> but he drew people in with such a simple, you know, a simple message, a theology that people could understand, a philosophy that people could understand. Yet he was, you know, a, a really brilliant man. So, no, well, we're gonna spin this back to our amazing listeners. You know, we've we've had a array of topics for you today, everything from burnout, current uh, faith and political dynamics increasing our influence in the faith and trying ultimately to serve as better and more effective Catholics. And so we want to hear from you. What are some things that you're going through? What are some things that you've been questioning? Because that's something that if anyone knows how Stace and I operate, <laughs> we spend a lot of time before our podcast is trying to go through and get our heads on straight to create this great dialogue, but also go through the issues that are really hitting hard in our church community and in our faith community. 
So please let us know what matters to you because we want to be that support for you as well. Absolutely. And so definitely let us know in the comments. We will thank you so much for your prayers and support all the time. Oh yeah. Keep praying for me because I need plenty of prayers. <laughs> well, we're going to make the closing prayer super short. And I think it's fun that what Stacy did kind of is parallel to what I'm asking for in the closing. So in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. Psalm 18, verses 28 through 29. Guys, thank you so much for attending Trial by Fire podcast with your host, Stacy and Rachel. Have a beautiful and safe week. See y'all later.